Joe presents TKO together with 32 Red. Welcome to round 10 of TKO here on Joe together with 32 Red. We're a podcast and YouTube show and we'll be with you every Thursday. Very pleased to say uh, that our guest this week is the newly crowned British light heavyweight champion and Olympic bronze medalist from Rio. It's Josh Boazzi. Thank Good to you. see you, mate. Yeah. <laughs> New champion. Big What's round happening? of applause. Yeah, I'm, I'm well. It's nice to have you on. Um, it, it's sort of a, a, you know, a busy time for you because you've just done one full camp. Yeah. You know, box 22nd of December, straight into a 10-week camp. Yeah. Boxed. And they're already, they're looking at trying to line you up again for another yeah. sort of show on, in New York. Right? Yeah. So it's just back to back. But I mean, I'm young, I'm fighting, I'm active. So I think this is something that if the opportunity is there, I have to take it. Um especially if I want to go to the heights and win the titles that the man on my right-hand side have won. I have to take these fights. Not that I have to take these fights, but boxing abroad is an opportunity. I've never done it before. It would be a new experience. I've done it as an amateur, but not as a professional. So I feel if the opportunity is there now, then I might as well take it. So um, mm. back to back. But it's busy. But like I said, I'm young, I'm fit and I'm strong. When did you first fight abroad? <coughs> um, as a pro and was El Paso... 2015 and I Gonzalez. yeah and I got put on my backside twice in the first round. What, what fight number was that called? Uh, like you were champ by that point, was it? Yeah, I yeah. was Tw- okay. about tw- about 20, 20 fights okay. in my career. Would you wish you did it earlier, or would you say that was the right time? No, I think it was good timing because okay. I went out there and I kind of that that fight for me was like an absolute blessing in disguise because of the before that I was chasing Quig, I was chasing Santa Cruz. And none of them would, would play okay. ball. Yeah. I go out there to the States, get put on my backside twice in the first round, get up and win. Wow. And them two guys suddenly think there's a weakness in Frampton. Mm. And the next fight was Quig, the next fight was Santa Cruz. Okay. And it was, uh, it was a real blessing for me, but a big experience. Mm-hmm. Because one of the things that's been difficult for you has been getting fights with some of the other contenders at British level, right? I know that there's been offers mm. made to guys. And I think you, you've been certainly someone that people have wanted to just maybe avoid the first six or seven fights of your career just because of how you boxed but you got obviously Conroy to, to step up yeah do you feel like that was the, the first real opportunity you got to show what you can do at this level or is there still more do you think that people haven't seen yeah there's, there's a lot more that people haven't seen so for me that I'm quite excited myself to see how far I can go and um like you said I feel that was a little percentage of the ability that I have. There's a lot more to show. Um, again, I congratulate Conroy for stepping up, for making the fight happen. I don't necessarily want to say fighters in Britain that want to fight me because I don't necessarily know what's going on. I'm not there when the phone calls are made, when the offers are made. So I can't really um, talk about that. But mm. I know that there are some fighters that said, yeah, we'll fight Boetsy. And then the team has said, cool, we made the offer to them. And they've said they're taking a different path, a different route. So I'm like, what's going on? Mm. And when I said, when I became mandatory for the British title, I made it clear that means I'd fight anyone within Britain. Because to be British <coughs> champion, you have to see yourself as the best within Britain. And if I, I went on to win that title, so I made it clear that, listen, I'll fight any light heavy in Britain. Because if I'm number one, if I've got that title, that makes me number one. Um, having said that, whether it makes me number one, I'd say Callum Johnson is probably a step ahead because he's dealing within the world level. So I'll give him um, that benefit of doubt and say, you know, he's the number one. I've got the title, but he's still in that world level. But anyone else, I mean, I've got the belt. So if there's anyone that wants to fight me, I like heavy in Britain, I've got the belt. So I'm the man. 
Mm. It's nice to see this, honestly. Like you would, you, you think of young up and coming boxers wanting to, you know, put everyone else down and send their weight divisions. But you've just spoke about Callum Johnson, and yeah. it would be if I if I am honest in my opinion, I would probably say that if you and Callum Johnson fought, I would fancy you in a fight. Yeah. Not just because you're sitting here, but I, I'm being honest. I think I would fancy you in the fight, but because he's fought at this stage of his career at a slightly higher level, yeah. you're going to give him his credit and yeah. say he's number one, yeah, which is yeah, which definitely. is refreshing to see. Mm. Definitely, and you also got to learn those lessons. I mean, you had some really good uh, opponents in your first mm. seven or eight. You know, certainly a couple of guys who lasted five or six. I know yeah. your hands weren't great at that stage, yeah. but giving you certainly a few tests that that you maybe needed at this stage because it's yeah. a very different game. Um, let, let's. Let's go back a little bit further. You and I first met. I, I was a. I was living on my mate's couch, and you were. Oh. You'd been on the GB squad about eight weeks. Yeah. So yeah. this is 2015, I think. 14. 14. Yeah, late. Yeah. Late 14. Yeah. And I can remember you saying to me a couple of things. You said, "Get off the couch." Yeah. Get, <laughs> yeah, get a job. I said, "I'm trying." <laughs> Um, and you, you said to me, "I want to. My dream is to qualify for the Olympics. Mm. That's what I want to get." I think you said medal at the Olympics. Actually, I probably said just get onto the Olympic team, be, just get onto the podium team. Yeah, because that time I was podium potential, and there were six men ahead of me. So I thought there's two years to go. Why would six men not take that opportunity and then suddenly force on the seventh man, which is me? So I thought two years is very unrealistic. But I said my my aim is just to go into the po- to the podium team become number one within Great Britain and represent the country so in terms of getting qualified for the Olympics let alone meddling that wasn't in the plan yeah because I thought why would six men quit if number one's injured number two's going to get an opportunity if number two's injured number three who was around at that time so it was myself Jake Ball Lyndon Arthur Lawrence Osweku oh yeah um Ashton Brown moved up to light heavy. Tom Whitaker Hart was there Tom as well. Tom Whitaker was there, yeah. So there was quite a lot of us. So I thought, well, why? And I was then myself and Lyndon Arthur were the newest on the team. So I thought, why would those ahead of me fall short and then I get the opportunity? But the opportunity came. I stepped in. I remember I boxed Peter Mullenberg in the World Series um, over five rounds instead of three rounds, which is what I was used so he's to. He's from the Netherlands, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that time he was number four in the world, um, two-time European silver medalist. He, he's, he bags of experience. Um, I lost on a split, a fight that I thought I possibly may have mm. nicked, but I showed that I could stay at this level. Just give me the time, work with me. Um, I stayed at that, at that level. And then, um, so I had 37 fights for Great Britain. I won 31. Um, leading to the Olympics, I won my last 14 because I, I planned and I dedicated myself. I remember it's an I, unbelievable yeah, run that you went on. I, yeah. I, I, mate, I, I lived, listen, man, I gave it everything, thinking if I can qualify... And that's good enough. I stopped uni on the Olympic year because I said I've been using boxing as an excuse for years now at uni. So let me actually try and qualify so that they can be like, oh, yeah, actually, we did mm. see at the Olympics. Not that we saw you medal, but yeah, it was a grind. And, and I say this to the, the guys and the women on the team now that I achieved it with little talent because I don't think I'm the most talented fighter at all that Great Britain has ever seen. Not at all. I'm far from it. So I think they're more talented than myself. So I say to them, if you just add hard work to it, you get it. And for me, it was just about just working hard, knowing my strengths and fighting to my strengths. What, you know what do I mean? you What do you see in him as a as a fighter when you watch him? I think he's a quality fighter. I loved. I watched your last fight um, against Conroy, and I've watched a lot of your fights. But the, the Conroy one was like there was just there was no messing about. It was yeah. like after about thirty seconds in that fight, 
I've seen Con- Conroy Sparan in Manchester um, okay. with, with Big Stevie Ward, who I trained yeah, alongside. Yeah, yeah. And after about 30 seconds in that fight, I was just thinking it's only a matter of time here. You, yeah. I didn't. I just think like you were you were ruthless that night, which yeah. you have to be in this sport. Um, mm. Your balance is great. You punch hard. You didn't seem to be affected by his punching power in the slightest. Yeah. And uh, I think as the opponent, as Conroy, if you're if you're landing shots and there's zero effect. It's a it's a really difficult place to be in when you're in the ring there. I think he caught mm. you with a really good right hand and then like a stiff jab behind yeah. you. And you looked at him and you tapped your chin. Yeah. And at that point I thought, yeah, he's in trouble here. Yeah, I went to throw a left hook to the body and he did that. But I think previously in the run he had caught me and I thought, okay, I've gauged his power and I thought a few more rounds he'd be out of it. But again, my, my, the only reason why I'm happy with my performance was because I didn't load up. I relaxed the most that yeah. I've ever relaxed in a fight. Yeah, you Usually very relaxed. I'm like tense and I'm trying to get you out of there. But this time I relaxed, I relaxed, slit the, right, slit the jab through the right hand. There was no power behind that. It was, it was just purely focusing on speed. Mm-hmm. And when that hurt him, I thought, get him out of there. And that's the only reason why I say it's my best performance till date because I was relaxed. That's all I was concerned about. Just relax, relax, relax. In the changing rooms, you were there, Chris. Yeah. I was thinking, relax, relax all the time. So. I wanna, yeah, I'll come on to that in a minute because your, your demeanour during fight week is really interesting because you kind of get more and more zoned in the closer you get to, yeah. towards the fight. So I want to talk to you about that process a bit later on. Um, one of the things that we always talk about after your fights is we'll have like a debrief and we yeah. talk about what you did well, what you didn't do. And, mm. and it's good to see you kind of slowed your feet down and relaxed in the early stages because certainly, like you said before, and I don't know whether you agree with this, if you're just thinking purely about what you're doing and you're not thinking about what's coming back at you, that could make you... It, it's great at this level, but when mm. you start to get go up the levels against intelligent fighters, you look at someone like Vodzik or Bivol, that's yeah. when you could come unstuck. If all yeah. you're thinking about is what I'm going to do to you, you need mm. to be thinking about what's coming back, right? Yeah. yeah. And I, that's where the sparring comes into play when you're sparring top quality. I'm sure you're sparring top amateurs even. Which, yeah, non-stop. And yeah. The thing is, when you're, you can spar pros and stuff and it's, it's very good and you get world-class guys in, but when you have the ability to spar top amateurs two, three rounds at a time and mm. keep, keep you know, yeah. just like a, root, root, a belt, like they're constantly yeah. coming in. That is the best bar in the world. I think that pros in, in this day and age, they always talk about they want to plant their feet mm. and punch hard. Mm. I think if you're a good amateur, which you obviously were because you won a bronze medal in the Olympics, yeah. if you're a good amateur, you need to keep the good amateur attributes that you had mm. and carry them on into the pro game and just be able to fight for 12 rounds yeah. but doing what yeah. you've done well as an amateur mm. Mm. it's very true um so let's just talk a little bit about because your dad was in the ring with you after yeah. uh, the fight i know the first person you call after the fight is always your mum yeah um you, your mum is still in accra in mm. ghana where you grew up yeah um what are your sort of early memories of of growing up there because you left at was it nine or well, ten was nine yeah, yeah right so memories was just Going to school, like wearing shorts and like this funny t- um, shirt, short sleeves, um, just the heat, almost being in flip flops, just the hot weather, playing with my friends, um, having being around all my cousins because we're all around the same age. So when I go back home to see them now, we're all about between the ages of 18 to like 30. And there's loads of them. So I grew up with all of them. We all lived like near each other or like basically in the same massive house. So that's like my memories of growing up in Ghana. I didn't like boxing. I didn't like fighting. Um, it was just football. But again, for for me, the key thing was, I remember when my parents said, oh, we're going to take you to 
London and I thought what the hell like I'm going to go to England London I was thinking what an amazing opportunity but it was to come here for education so talking about fighting was never on the radar it was never in the plan it was only when my best friend introduced myself to boxing and I thought oh I like this uh, I, I like fighting so if I can do it in a settings where it's regulated and allowed then I can do it but, how, um, how old were you? Yeah. so I was 9 when I came and I started, started boxing, boxing? 15, I was 15 turning 16 yeah okay. So, it's, pretty, um, it's pretty late to do what you've done. That's not, that's yeah, not young, really. Ten, ten years in the game, essentially, yeah, now, yeah, 25, yeah, 26. Yeah, 25, yeah, yeah. So but for your, for your parents, it, was it difficult to sort of broach the subject of, I'm kind of boxing several days a week now? Yeah. And at what point does that conversation become awkward with, with them? It's always been awkward. So I think, so when I first started, I was like, okay, I'm going football training. Yeah, I've got a bag, you're going football. Then one day, my, I think my mum or my dad was like, let's actually see what's in this bag because you keep carrying this bag because if you ask people that knew me from when I first started they'll say oh we always used to see Boatsy with a big black bag every time everywhere you see me because my mind you lot was like I'm going to uni I'm going to school I'm going to college but before then I'm training after that I'm going straight to the gym that was the pattern that I was in I've lived in the same pattern for about eight years eight to ten years so when people say oh you know, um, I watched you at the Olympics, you did well. I'm thinking it took eight years to get there. Mm. Eight years of living the same lifestyle, which was education, training. And I lived in that pattern non-stop. When I say non-stop, I don't mean I had days off. I mean non-stop. It was that same. And I was happy with that because I think about it now and it's brought me at a good level and the high heights to reach. So um, after my dad or my mum stopped me to ask what's in the bag, they noticed that it was boxing gloves and they said, ah... Like we've spoken about this, he shouldn't box, it's dangerous, it's this and it's that. And I think my dad has watched um, Eubank versus Watson. Yeah. So he, he, he's he been up to date with boxing. So he was like, nah, I've seen things happen before, you shouldn't do it, it's dangerous. But I stayed on, I was consistent with it. So I think it was when I was 18, he said, look, you're your own man, you're 18, you can do what you want to do. And for me, that was the green light. But before then, I was still boxing, like still entering national tournaments, winning them traveling to places on my own with my trainer Mark Gillespie and Terry Smith just us two just those two and myself every time traveled all around the country to box I didn't need my mum or my dad to tell me ah oh, you can fight or we're coming to support you because when I started this sport I thought this is not a hobby you know some people box as a hobby and I think how can you let someone hit you in the face as a hobby I yeah thought, like Sunday football's a hobby yeah, right? yeah I thought this is serious so <laughs> I didn't need anyone to convince me to do it or to say mm. oh I'm going to drop you to the gym if you want to go training no I'd make my way down to the gym and there's people that I need to give credit for um, that have taken me to the boxing gym it's, uh, it's a long list but I always found my, myself at the boxing gym mm. so um, it's a price that you had to pay do you know what I mean I was only a kid but I, I was seven when I started boxing wow. which was very young long I'm, I'm, <laughs> when I'm seven wow. I look like a four year old like I'm, I was a little blonde you know smurf pretty much <laughs> and uh I, I just wanted to try it out because it was like a two-minute walk from the front door it's actually my mum my brought me down right um and i was a quiet kid in the street like i'd have been i'd have shied away if there was any kind of boisterous guys or anyone making a bit of noise i'd have like backed away from them I didn't like the fight or anything yeah. and i think that's probably never actually spoke to my mum and dad about it why you let me go to boxing as, as at that age but it's probably because I was a quiet kid in the street and they wanted me to kind of stand up for myself a bit. Yeah. And uh, I loved it. I just, I, just, I just fell in love with it. I remember like going into the gym the first night, 
the guys, the coaches, Billy McKee, Josie Farrell at the time, Josie's is now dead, they they didn't let me train because it was so small. They were like, look, just sit and watch. And if you want to come back the next night, you can come back. And I sat and watched all night and I was first first at the door the next night. Wow. It's pretty amazing. Talk about that, Carl. Would you let your kids watch? Because you're See, a parent no, now. It's difficult. You... it's difficult because my kids, like, I I bring them down to the, my old amateur club. Okay, yeah. And and they love it. One's four, one's eight. The little girl's eight, the little boy's four. And uh, and they love boxing. I think it's just because I do it. And mm. But I'm not going to push them into it. Yeah. But I would prefer they didn't because I know to get to the very high levels, like, yourself and myself have it takes so much dedication mm. and it, it completely takes over your life yeah. yeah and and i've seen the benefits of boxing but i don't want i don't think i want to have it's it's hard game mm. it's a hard hard game yeah i don't think i want my kids to to have to have that hardship when they don't have to yeah i guess that's the key isn't it it's, it's the kind of actually the need and the want so you look at somebody like Connor Ben, who's been brought into the money that his dad has had. He doesn't necessarily mm. need to box, but he's mm. done it out of a choice. Whereas a lot of the time it comes from necessity. Yeah. Did you feel like it took you away from trouble outside of the ring? Yeah, look, it kept me out of trouble a lot of times. Um, and the spare time that I had, it consumed it. Like, that's all I had to do was to train. Um, but yeah, boxing's helped me in a lot of ways, man. Got Kept me out of trouble. Hanging out, hanging out with the wrong people, um, the wrong crowd, being at the right place at the right time, which for me was always a boxing gym yeah. and a boxing event. So it stopped me from being at the wrong places at the wrong time. So for a fact, boxing is, yeah, like, like Carl says, it, it, it gives you opportunities and, and it creates things that you didn't think it would ever create. When I first started, I thought, you're just a boxer and, you're just, and that's it. But I never thought I would, for example, be invited to the Queen's um, Palace just places that I've been, mm. just because of boxing, I thought that would never happen. Yeah. I've travelled the world because of boxing. I thought, nah, you're just going to stay in London, box nationally, and that's it. But, yeah, it's, it's an amazing sport, man. No, one of the bits of advice you were given after Rio, it was a, a chaotic time of your life, and yeah. the phone didn't stop ringing, but someone said to you, I think, make a note of the people who are around you now and yeah. have been around you for a mm. while. Do you find, obviously, boxing has brought you away from... The, the, the kind of bad people in the wrong crowds. Do you find that now that you've achieved the level of fame and, and success and all the rest of it, that other people try and kind of creep back into your life? And how do you deal with that? So for me, I think um, I like to be cool with everyone. So I'll mm. see you, I'll say cool to you, um, I'll chat to you and everything. But I think I've noticed that my close circle has remained the same in terms of my friends are actually boxers or they're into the sport of boxing. So it's easy for us to still be friends and to meet up outside the gym and to do things outside the gym. Um, what I would say, though, is that I've lost a lot of friends, but I've I sat down with them or I've rang them and I've said, look, I can come to terms that the relationship is not the way it used to be when I had a lot of time. Like I'm in a sport where if I don't prepare, my life's at stake, everything's at stake. I understand people have work, people have commitments, but... In boxing, you get hurt if you're not ready. So I say mm. to them, listen, I respect our relationship and everything, but I can accept that it's not the way it used to be. I still got love for you. If you need help, call me. I'll help you out in that. But you can't... The time for me to just be chilling, like in the estate, or to be, I don't know, just wasting time. I can't do that anymore. I have mm. to be training. I have to be physically training. Yeah, I mean, it's the most 
it's probably the most single-minded, selfish sport in the world, right? Yeah, how, yeah. How did it affect you, with sort of friendships and people well, as your my, people? I've kind of you've, you've you've got your you've got your friends from school and your lifelong friends, and you may not see them as often as you should, but they're still your friends. Yeah. Um, but one thing, well, yeah, it happens as you become a little bit more popular and you start winning a bit more and I'm sure you've probably already noticed it you see these new guys coming that you've never seen before and they're hanging around never in my life seen them but I I think I think that every I trust everyone I think everyone's my best mate and it's something my wife has said to me like just these new guys coming from nowhere even now nice still but wow I'm just a naive like I just want people to like me. You know what I mean? Buffer, yeah? <laughs> well, Buffer's all right. I like Buffer. Buffer's a good guy. <laughs> he's more. He's more friends with Christina. Right. So he is. Yeah. Has she got more uh, <laughs> Twitter followers than Conrad Cummins yet? She's she's just shy. We he, should probably plug this. I yeah, think. we should. Before so we go to the before we go to that's something I wanted. Yeah, Conrad Cummins has twenty two point two. I'm looking down the barrel here at this one. <laughs> <laughs> Conrad Cummins is twenty two point two. Thousand Twitter followers. Christine has twenty one point, so twenty two point one. I wonder above Conrad just to wind them up. <laughs> <laughs> so what we're saying is, we're not telling you to unfollow Conrad Cummins, but if you decided to do that of your own volition, <laughs> we'll, we'll just see what happens. Do you know what? If we manage to turn this round by the end of the day, that's some result. It's unreal. The power yeah. of media. Um, right, you're listening to TK with me, Chris Lloyd, and Carl Frampton. We're a podcast and YouTube show, and we'll be with you every Thursday. Uh, now, hit first, here's a little something else from Joe with Russell Kane. Thanks, Chris. I'm Russell Kane. Please subscribe to my podcast, Boys Don't Cry. It's fascinating. Much needed. It's not men in cardigans talking about their feelings, and it's not men talking about boobs and football. It's men being provoked into honestly talking about the things you wish they'd talk about, ladies. So lads, listening for the awkwardness. Ladies, listening with nosiness. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And by the way, I'm not Nick Grimshaw. Cheers, Russell. This week's guest on round 10 of Tico is the British light heavyweight champion, Josh Boazzi. Um So... In the kind of aftermath of, of Rio, you had a good 12 months of kind of working out what you were going to do. Yeah. It was almost like, and I can remember we did a we did an interview on the top of Primrose Hill, and I think we were oh, saying, yeah. wow. this could be the last time your life is ever normal yeah, yeah, again. Yeah. And then you flew off to Rio. In fact, let's talk about Rio, because I guess there was not so much pressure on you in terms of public expectation, but certainly you felt pressure on yourself. Yeah, I felt pressure on myself in the sense that, you know, when you box around the world, you might box in Bulgaria, in France, in Turkey, wherever it is, but it's not televised. So I'm like, yeah, that's cool. Okay, do whatever you got to do. But when it came to the Olympics, I thought, Josh, the whole world is watching. Mm. Even if you lose, cool, but don't get put on the floor, don't get battered, don't get a standing count, don't start throwing punches and hitting thin air, which I did do a bit of that, but... um, so that's, that's, that's the pressure I put on myself. I said, you're representing the nation. Give a good account of yourself. Yeah. And I took each fight at a time. And, and I thought, the coaches kept on saying, this can change your life. Every fight I went into, they kept on saying, this could change your life. So I thought, give it everything, man. I remember watching them and thinking, Big Joe, Joyce got a yeah. silver. You yeah. got a bronze. Nick Adams got a gold. gold yeah. yeah. I remember thinking, um, and not really known too much about you before yeah. the Olympic Games. I mean, it was just my ignorance, not paying much attention to the, the amateurs. But 
um, or no, anymore. It's fun. But, but um, <laughs> I, no, I, I remember when you won, like watching the Olympics, thinking this guy could do something as a pro. Yeah. I remember thinking that because the the draw came out. I was at Harvey Horn's house, yeah, watching the draw, and Britain got really stitched up. Where a lot of mm. our guys had top three, top two, top five yeah. guys, almost across the board. Yeah. Remember, Fowler had uh, Alan Carnley. Just thinking, come yeah. on, like a Commonwealth champion getting a world bronze medalist yeah. uh, that early just doesn't seem right. You had, I think, you had Kennedy Katendi first from yep. Uganda. Yep. You were one of the only guys who had a reasonable first draw. Yeah. Where you actually think, okay, yeah. So is- my first fight was Kennedy. He he's been to two Olympics, I think. Yeah. yeah. So he used to represent Sweden. And then he he actually boxed Petobiev in um, 2008 Olympics, I think. What's his name? Uh, Kennedy Katendi, Ugandan. I think I remember him. Yeah. yeah. For, for Sweden, though? Yeah, I yeah, 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 yeah. But he's from Uganda, so when I boxed him, he was representing Uganda. So that was the first one, and I thought, yeah, he's been to the Olympics twice, but he's old, and I don't know what his ability is like. So I got in there, dealt with that, and I thought, you've won your first fight, but actually, well done. The second one is against an Uzbek who is... Elshad Rasilov. Yeah, who I think was a four-time medalist in the World Championships. Yeah. And he was the flag bearer of his nation in the last Olympic Games. So to be the flag bearer, not just of boxing, but of the nation, mm. it's a credit. Do you know what I mean? So mm. I thought, well done, Josh. You won your first fight. You can just gently bow out of the tournament. But I got in and I thought, nah, he's had a bite in the first round. So he's fresh, but I was like, I boxed two days ago. So I'm, I know what to do. I know where the ring is. I know where the corner is. I know where the ref is. I was here two days ago, but you weren't. So when the bell went, jumped on his straight away. Straight, I didn't give him a chance to do what he wanted to do. He's a southpaw. He's got good feet, got bags of skills, but I thought we're not standing in the middle. I need to have you on the ropes or in the corner. And I fought to my strengths. And um, so I knocked him out in That's the third great, round. Great win. Yeah, it was an unbelievable Yeah, I knocked win. him out in the third round. But that was just... Smart pressure and just staying on to him. What can you remember about the the press? Did your did your phone start going off? Was there a point? Because I can remember yeah, waking man. up one morning to see the BBC headline. It was brilliant, Boatsy, yeah. and thinking that's going to change things because as soon as something's on the front page of the BBC, yeah. that's, that's it, what it's, that's so what from, from from the first fight. It was okay, but it was when I knocked out Rasulov in the third that I thought this is this is weird. Like what's happening? Just because I'm winning a fight, do you know what I mean? And it made me think, oh, people back home are actually watching it. Because I know there was a big time difference between Brazil and England. Yeah. Um, but it kept on building. My third fight to secure the medal made it go mad. Ben Shabler? Yeah, the best chin I've ever hit. Mate, yeah, he had a he head took like everything. Absolute breeze block, didn't he? Everything. And um, that fight was interesting with Ben Shabler because we shared the same changing rooms leading up to that fight because he was in that side of the draw. And I was, and he was always fighting the fight after me, so I would win, and then he'd come in, and he'd win, and we'd say hi to each other. But he was a bit aware of me because I was stopping everyone, and then he tried to kind of familiarise himself with me before we fought. And I just looked there and I thought, Nah, we're fighting tomorrow. Where was he from? Um, Algeria. Algeria. Yeah. yeah. And I, and do you know what it is? When I went to Ghana like six years ago, they were like, Ah, oh, Boetsi, you're you're good. The Ghanaian team was like, You're good. But there's this guy from Algeria. Ben Chabler, he's the All-Africans champion year after year and he, he'll beat you. So when I got to the games, I've heard of him before mm. and he had a mean look on his face, but I thought, it's my time now. I've learned. I, I know what to do here. So like I said, I won my last 14 fights going into the Olympic Games. I was active and, and I wanted to go to the tournaments. I knew that before the games, I needed one more tournament, which I went to was in, it was in Romania. Yeah. I had one fight. That's right. Yeah. The I golden, didn't have to box in the finals. Or whatever it was. Yeah. yeah I, I left the tournament. Do you know what I mean? So 
the prep and the support from the team was amazing. In that fight, I was watching it at home and you were you were so far ahead on the on the cards. There was no yeah. way you could have lost it unless you'd have got knocked out. Yeah. And then at some point in the corner, you gave me a heart attack because you just dropped your hand. Oh. Do you remember Sam Megginson did it against Paulie Malinari? Yeah, he just dropped his hand. And, and you just let him hit you on the chin about four times. But do you know what the difference is, Chris? Those gloves are not like pro gloves. That's why pro <laughs> boxing is different. Says <laughs> that like it's any this. easier f- watching that at home. Carl can confirm this, man, that the, the amateur gloves... Mate, I would let anyone hit me on the chin. <laughs> but see, this pro boxing gloves, no way. Really? No no way. It's different. It's different. Is that one of the reasons why you had your, your sort of hand problems and stuff after... Not after even that. It's just... I, I chose a glove that was just too big for my hands because right. I've got quite small hands. But um, the pro the pro gloves are different because I've been in with fighters that they've said, oh, he's not a puncher, Josh. So we're in there and he's hit me and I thought... Okay, they said, they said you're not a puncher. <laughs> Next time you let me, we we done a wee test in here. It was off camera. I don't think it was. No, no it was they got camera. they got some footage of it. Yeah, well, I had like a big, soft, stupid, fourteen ounce amateur. Yeah. It, was an eight, it was an eight ounce. If we get a proper professional eight ounce glove, we'll do it again and then we'll see what happens. What, why am I going to do that? You, you were sparring. No, no I just, Carl, I just Carl touched him. I touched him on the, on the abs. Yeah, but I, I touched him and he took it well. But. Yeah. Uh, Change the gloves, yeah. Solid yeah. to the midsection. The Chris is different. It's a different war game. <laughs> I'll different take any war shot. Game. I'll take any shot from both of you. And the duration of the runs as well. You know that it's not three threes. Yeah, three threes is a sprint. So well, that, yeah, the yeah. pace you used to fight at, especially in the Olympics, yeah. you were like out of the traps. Yeah, exactly. But and this one, had... you take time. Yeah, it's twelve rounds. Even if you beat him off for five rounds, you got what another seven rounds left. So. Got to be careful. Even the pace against Conroy, even like, was high. I know it was only it was three oh, rounds. Three rounds, yeah. I okay. thought it, I thought it was pretty. I was, it was I'll, pretty I'll intense. For you, that, was, that. that was because uh, I thought I'm going very slow here. Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah, I was I, like, even, but even even maybe when you're not punching as much, you're still active on your feet and yeah. you're moving. So it, it oh, looks like good, you're more active. That. But it looked yeah. it looked like it was it was a high pace. Yeah, me. two no, people. Yeah, two two people actually made the same comment ringside afterwards. They said it was. You were a bit Golovkin-esque. Yeah. So, like, putting pressure on your opponent even when you weren't actually throwing. Enough, Usyk yeah. done it against I was Berger. just going to say, Usyk does it, Lomachenko does it. So it's okay. a good sign that you're yeah. able to do that. How do you do that from a technical point of view? What is it you're actually doing that's putting that pressure when you're not punching? Um, do you know what it is? When I'm in that ring, I just remain present. Wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, I'm present. Like, yeah. you know I'm there. That's all, that's all I can say about it. Like, I'm present. Dominant, present alpha whatever you want to call it i'm there and i'm in that ring and that's all that matters and you, my opponent will know i'm in that ring like they'll, they'll know i'm there i'm not hard to find let's talk about the role of religion in specifically within your fight preparation during the fight mm. because obviously everyone is slightly different i know you're particularly relaxed for a fighter so you wouldn't be that much different during fight week but you're quite i would say the difference between you fight week and after fight week is a lot like you're very yeah. relaxed after fight week and during fight week you're quite closed off yeah. it's almost like you're mentally you seem like you're honing in yeah and yeah, you get yeah. t- you get more and more narrow and less and less communicative yeah, yeah. what does it feel like from your perspective from monday to, to saturday night so I think when I first turned pro, I used to be silent for the whole week. Now I talk for the whole week and I laugh until my hands start getting wrapped. Yeah. But like you say, as it goes on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I get much more quieter. And then Saturday, I'll still be laughing, but I'll be much more quieter. And then it gets to a point where my hands are being wrapped. And it's literally a little gap. And that little gap is concentrating on the opponent and who I'm going to fight. Um, and I'm telling, I'm putting all the pressure on myself. That's the thing. I don't really... Like, I know there's pressure on me 
from the outside, but I don't feel it. The only pressure that's on myself is within what I'm putting on myself and the expectations that my trainers have of me and my team and my, the boys that are in my corner because they know how good I am. So th that's the pressure that I feel that I want to fight so that my trainer can think, actually, what I talk about in the gym, he's demonstrating it. Mm. The outside pressure, I don't feel that at all. But like you said, it closes down and down and down and different fighters deal with it differently. I like to read um, scriptures from the Bible to kind of reassure me and stuff like that to just mentally prepare me because I know I can fight man do you know what I mean I know I can fight we all fight and we all work hard at this level so there's an there's an extra edge that we all need and for me I turn to Christianity religion and that's what helps me because I, like I said everyone's talented everyone trains hard everyone runs hard everyone spars hard we all do it do you know what I mean so I think I've never been there to actually talk about it I'm getting there but Carl has been there where you're both world champions. You've been there. You've both worked hard. Mm. So it's like what separates the winner from the loser? I, do you know what I mean? It's quite hard to say, but he's been there. I haven't. What do you think does separate the winners from the losers in those situations? I don't know. Um, You've been there, man. Yeah, I know I have, but I, don't, I think, like, it's a difficult one. It's a difficult one to answer. Mm. Um, like, I, I don't know what's going on in the other guy's change room or how relaxed they are or how they're feeling. Mm. But me personally, I I like to be relaxed, and and it sounded from what you were saying like you're laughing right up until you get your hand wrapped. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. That's pretty similar to me. Yeah. Um, and then when you start the, the hand wrap start to go on, that's when you get serious. So I don't really know what's going on in the other guys' mm -hmm. dressing room, but I am I'm focused from the time the the wraps go into my hands. I'm focused, and uh, I'm always I don't know. It's a hard it's a hard question. Yeah. How much do you think about? Stuff the awesome. other questions. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's my job. Um, how much do you think about the other guy in the other dressing room? I think about him a little bit, but not 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 a lot. Not a lot. Serious. I think about my opponent from the first day the fight's been made. Do you really? I wake up and my alarm goes off and I'm thinking, boom, his name pops on my head, comrade. Get out of bed. Boom, I'm out of bed. I'm stretching in the gym. I'm doing some exercises. I'm thinking about my opponent. Hmm. I wake up. I go to bed. I'm thinking about my opponent. Middle of the night, I think about my opponent. Fight week, even if I don't see him, I'm thinking about my opponent. I'm eating my food, I'm thinking about my opponent. Really? I think about my opponent every time. Well, what do you in, think about? In the changing rooms, I'm not thinking about them so much. I'm thinking about the fight. Yeah. Not really about the opponent. But what you're saying is when you're having a bit of a, a day, oh, I couldn't be asked going training, the opponent quickly pops yeah. in their head. Yeah. You yeah. Okay. Your so, run, so I think I was correct. I mean, there's more about the fight. I'm saying opponent, but I'm thinking about the fight. Well, of course, I'm fighting that opponent. I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about the fight. Mm. If if I'm getting tired, I'm saying, "Well, see, you're down in this round. You're down in the cards. What are you gonna do? Pick it up." If I feel like stopping, I'm like, "You're not gonna stop." If I'm running and I'm getting a bit tired and I feel like I've dropped the pace, I'm like, "Well, he's next to you, but he's going past you, mm. so you need to pick it up." So it's all about the mind and how you use it, man. And 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 nerves are good. I get nervous before a fight, but for me, that's brilliant. I need the nerves. It makes me sharp. I, I'm I'm on the point. Like I'm. Do you know what I mean? I, for me, I need nerves to mm. operate. We all have them, I think. Yeah. It's just knowing that they're not a bad thing, right? And no, you can yeah, it's not a bad I thing. I think if anyone says they're not nervous before the fight, they're talking nonsense. Yeah. yeah. How could you not be? Um, let's talk about the future. Um, I, I, listen, I know you get asked hundreds of questions about the future mm. and where you want to go, and there's, mm. there's only so much you can really say because yeah. I know you kind of take each fight at a time. But you've got the infrastructure around you now in terms of sponsorship, like you've got a night deal, yeah. um, you're on Anthony Joshua's management company, you're signed with Matchroom. All of that puts you in a very strong position to mm. negotiate your way towards a world title. Um, 
When you say negotiate, what do you mean? Because For, I, I mean, in terms of the opportunities that you'll get, yeah, you still have to perform, like that, yeah, of course, that's yeah, down to yeah, you. Yeah. But, but ultimately, what it means is that if you perform, where some people miss opportunities, even if they mm-hmm. do perform, you're in, you've got everything around you. How does it feel to have those kind of things around you? Have you got used to it now, having an agent, so, a manager? Uh, I think for me, the word opportunity is a big word to me in my personal life because, like I said, when I found out I was coming to England, I thought, wow, I'm going to a place where there is opportunity. Um, and whether it was via education or whatever, when I started boxing, I thought, this is an opportunity, even though I didn't know how far I was going to get. But like you said, the position that I'm in now, I thought I've got a massive opportunity to become a world champion, long as I perform. Um, and if that doesn't happen, that's solely my fault. So it's that simple. The opportunity is there. If I don't become a world champion, it's my fault. That period, there's nothing else to say about it. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. I think I think Adi Harn made a good point um, and said, one, an interview done after one year of fights, that if this guy doesn't become a world champion, someone's yeah, he messed said up. Someone's Something failed, like yeah. that, yeah. And yeah. I, I, that's, I agree with Adi Harn on yeah. that point. Okay. Massively. There's, good, there's some good champions in my weight category. Let me make that clear. But I feel if I keep learning the way I'm learning and, like you said, the team around me can manoeuvre things properly, I should get there. Yeah. Again, I haven't, I haven't made that move before. Like, I keep referring to Carl, but he's, he's had a, um, an early start to his career and he's gone through his career. He's become world champion. I, I'm taking this step by step as it happens, but I feel this is, if it's guided right and I keep learning and improving, I should be world champion. Yeah, I know... Your answer to this is always, well, my team will make the decisions and so Mm-mm. I have to wait for them. But j- just humour me f- for this one. So they were talking yesterday about the potential of doing uh, a light heavyweight super series tournament. So yeah. Kovalev, Bivol, Baterbiev, Gvodzic, and then maybe one or two Brits as well. Yeah. To, to be put into that as like a wild card or say an unranked contender, maybe the seventh or eighth seed out of eight. Yeah. How How long do you think you think you'd be ready for that in in what time frame i think rather than time frame i could say that i feel in certain fights or the fights that i'm going to have from here onwards i want to i want to get more rounds in yeah i want to be in the eighth round and see what it's like being in the eighth round do you want do you want um, to know how good you are for yourself as much as to show the people at home oh yeah yeah, yeah. like, like I, i'm quite weird because sometimes you care what people think but more time I'm like forget what they think because you get in the ring yourself and if you're not ready you're the one that's getting battered people are just gonna sit down and watch and be entertained so to an extent I don't really care too tough what they say in that aspect I want to it's, it's myself internally I want to prove to myself that I'm good enough or know that I'm good enough then people are if they're there and they're watching they're there and they're watching because in that ring you can't lie to you can do you can give all the chat, Chris, but when you get in that ring against someone that you didn't want to fight but you were persuaded into yeah. that fight, you're gonna be on the receiving end. It's what did you mention there about feeling what it's like going in the eight rounds, ten rounds, whatever. It's it's a real moment for a fighter. You can do it in the gym and you can do it mm. sparring, but to do it on fight night and actually know you can do it. I, my first time I ever went twelve rounds, um it was a pretty boring fight. I remember going into the tenth round. It was a slow pace fight and picking it up for the last three. And after that fight, I knew I'm a 12-round fighter now. Because even though you've done it in the gym, mm. you still have a few doubts until you actually do it and you yeah. get a real gut check. Mm. And I think that's what... Like, I, 
there's no doubt. I think, I think you're a nailed on world champion, but you want to have that gut check yeah. and, and someone yeah. you know a real stiff opponent in front of you to bring you in the later half of the fight, yeah. just so you know what it feels like. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So that's why when the fight entered the third round with Conroy, I thought this is good. I'm not. I'm not even breathing. <laughs> Hello, three rounds is a long fight. <laughs> no, no, no. It's very short, but I thought yeah. again it was gonna go further than that. I thought, yeah, this fight might go into seven or eight, and then I'll get him out of there. But the third round came again. I wasn't looking for the shot. I was looking for it, as in I knew I was going to throw it, but I wasn't loading up on it. Yeah. And that's why that's the only reason why I sound pleased with my performance because I was quite relaxed. And well, you've learned the lesson. For, for my level, I was relaxed, yeah. Yeah. I can always remember um, there was an interview with Jessica Ennis after the London Games because everyone said, you know, she's banker for a gold medal and she, she's on for it. And she said, you have no idea that the pressure that puts on you as an mm. athlete because everyone thinks that unless you win a gold, you somehow failed. And she said, yeah. I've still got to go out and perform yeah, in six yeah. events over a week. So when you hear someone like Carl and so many people saying, is the hottest pros- prospect in Great Britain, he's mm-hmm. definitely going to be world champion. Is that nice or does it put pressure on you, do you think? Um, again, I, I listen to it and I think, well, it's easy for them to say. Like, they've been there and they've done their walk. I'm like, I'm yet to do it. So I, I put that pressure on myself that I think I'm good enough. So I'm like, you have to achieve it, Josh. You, you, mm. If you achieve anything less, you possibly haven't done well. But I always refer back to a quote I heard George Groves say in an interview. And he was saying that success your opinion of success changes no matter what stage you're at in your life. So for me, when I won the the Olympic medal, I thought this is the best thing ever. I've turned professional now. Sometimes I don't look up my medal because I've got another interpretation of what success is. I won the version of the WBA belt and I was like, this is nice. I won the British title. I was like, this is very nice. Um, It's still, it's still there and I still, I'm still happy I won it, but I'm so I'm thinking what's next what what more can I win on top of the British so every everyone's interpretation of success changes um depending on the stage of the career mm. and that's like the video you see of Mike Tyson where they go to his house and he throws the belt and he's like this is garbage and I'm like mate that's the WBA belt mm. that's the IBF belt what do you mean that's garbage but that's because I haven't achieved it but he's been there he's done yeah. that I don't know if you throw your belts no, around no they're, but... they're sitting nice they're sitting nice um, <laughs> displayed nicely in my house okay um, see see what I'm saying so yeah. that's nice do you know what I mean so if Carl ever threw his belts I'd be like what are you doing that's yeah. the WBA I care what you're doing I'll 50 quid and I'll take them <laughs> off your hands I've, uh, just talking about pressure there and people putting pressure on and like it's a wee bit of a contradiction from myself because I'm saying that and I hate it I'm saying you're a nailed on world champion yeah. but I hate having the pressure where people just think it's, it's like, a oh, given you definitely beat him it's, it's fine in the pot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it happened to me against I fought Kiko Martinez from a first world title fight and I'd already fought him I beat him for the European title but it was a mm. hard fight I knocked him out in the ninth round but it was a nip and tuck fight and he was pushing me really hard and I just caught him with a good shot Yeah, I remember going into the fight in Belfast for the world title and everyone under granny thought just assumed <laughs> I was winning the fight who's <laughs> thinking flip me if you don't for win sure. this fight this is like this yeah. is the end do you yeah. know what I mean people set the, the bar for you the don't pressure was there was, so, there was more pressure on me getting into that fight than any other fight wow oh, wow it's crazy isn't it so the pressure is there Chris but you know what it comes with it that's another thing I've accepted boxing for Great Britain there's pressures that comes with it going to these big tournaments there's pressures that comes with it so I've accepted that as part of it so I don't really give attention to it that no. much yeah um, we're going to do our 32 second challenge now with 32 red. Have you seen this yet? 
I've never seen it, so... Thanks for watching. Yeah. Um, we... I always tell everyone to subscribe, at least. <laughs> yeah, at least sign up for the podcast. <laughs> um, this is a bit of word association. I- I've actually thought of a couple of, of others. My producer, Sai, has written a load of words down, okay? They're just singular words. I'm going to read them out to you, and you've got to say the first thing that comes into your head in 32 seconds. All right, you ready? Yeah, yeah, I'm on. Okay. <laughs> Housekeeping in hotels. Messy. Pigeons. Run. Ghana. Hometown. Croydon. Croydon, um, ghetto. Vegetables. No go. Stormzy. Sick eyes, yeah. Uh, Rio. Where Jews were made. Uh, Joe Frazier. Favourite fire. Anthony Joshua. Set in the bar. 258. Management. Church. Everything. Punch power. It's good to have. Uh, and being a pilot. Ultimate dream. Ultimate dream. Well, yeah. it's the end of the 32 second challenge. Sweet. Um, I didn't realise that that was public knowledge because Sai came in before the show and my producer said, oh, did you know Josh wanted to be a pilot? And we were talking about it when you were getting your beard and your hair yeah, cut. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. For, for people who haven't heard, just before we go, just tell us a little bit about that. That's your, that's your long-term goal, right? Yeah, no, well, growing up, if you asked me what I wanted to be, I would have said pilot. And one of my uncles, he he's actually never called me Joshua or Senna, which is my middle name. He almost calls me Captain. Like straight away, he sees me, he's like, Captain, how you doing? And he's been calling me that from young. So I've never actually done anything to head towards being a pilot because I've been boxing from 15. But yeah. after this, if the opportunity ever came, I would want to say that oh, I could fly a plane. Good man. Although, I, if you'd been in a car with him, I don't know you'd be saying that. <laughs> Didn't you do one of those driving experiences about... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Honestly, if you ever want to do one again, just my, get him to drop you in the nah, station. Okay, Chris, right. my driving is good, car. He's the only mean? person out of all of his friends that think his driving's good. But you know what's mad? If people want to get to places on time and they're running late, you get there. first person to call Boetsy. That's you, a good you driver. You get there on time. Like, if you get through traffic and there's no, no bumps. Chris, you know, if you're running late but you're no. in a car with me, You'd be like, Josh, I need to get to this place on time. Yeah. You'd be like, cool, because you know I'll get you there on time. Uh, certainly get me there, yeah. Don't know whether I'll be the same man. <laughs> you know when Will Smith first goes in the Men in Black car with Tommy Lee Jones and he goes upside down on the tunnel? No, you know yeah, 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 not, yeah, yeah. Similar to... Get on time, yeah. <laughs> and, and if you know the area you're driving in as well, you're cool, man. Yeah, he's got an appointment in Wales in half an hour. Be there. No problem at all. Mate, absolute pleasure to have you on, Josh. Nah, thank you so much. Congratulations you, on your success. And if you thank do you fight in New York, good luck with that as well, mate. Appreciate thank that. You thank you much. Much. This has thank been you, TKO, Cheers. round 10, done and dusted with British Light Heavyweight Champion Josh Buatzi. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Remember, we're with you every single Thursday on the podcast and YouTube. We'll see you again in seven days' time. You've been listening to TKO on Joe. Together with 32 Red.